0: Welcome to the Frame of Podcast. Welcome to the Frame of Life Podcast. Oh. Let's try it.
1: Frame of Life Podcast. Here's your host, Mommy.
0: That right there, that's a form of sharing what is sharenting and what is Sharonhood? Well, you clicked on this episode, so you're intrigued. And I'm going to dive into everything about it today with our guest, Leah Plunkett. She's the author of the book, Sharonhood and a faculty member at Harvard Law School, Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society. Leah and I recently reconnected when I had the opportunity to capture some new headshots for her website upgrade. You may have seen her before. She's literally an armchair expert with my favorites. Dax and Monica she um, also just appeared on the Dr. Phil show he trusts her as an expert panelist she's been featured in the New Yorker the Economist Good Morning America PBS you name it she is everywhere talking about Sharon Hood right now but before all this I called Leah a friend, and before that, I called her my boss. She was actually my first boss in law school when I externed with her at the Youth Law Project at New Hampshire Legal Assistance. She taught me how to passionately and bravely advocate for the protection of the rights of young people and juveniles who got in trouble with the law. She's a self-described Law Nerd, who spends most of her days reading through privacy laws and educating parents about ways that we can advocate for our kids and guide them in ways to protect themselves in this ever-changing digital world. Leah wrote Sharenthood to shine light on the mistakes that adults make with kids' private information, the risks that result from that, and the legal system that enables the collection of your child's digital footprint from often before when they were born. I'll admit it. Initially, her book title and description freaked me out. I am a sharent. (laughs) I mean, you just heard my daughter's voice at the beginning of this podcast, and many of the tips and tricks that I show online feature my kids. So it really freaked me out to start to think about this whole sharenting world and what I was doing wrong because I didn't actually want to know. But After reading Leah's book and diving deeply into the topic, I think that this is the perfect opportunity to sit down with you and chat about some tangible ways that we can be wiser as parents with what we share, how we talk about our kids online, and what we can do moving forward to model good behavior online for our kids. We cover a ton of great information in this podcast episode, so I added everything into the show notes so you can get quick access to all of these awesome interviews that she's done, as well as access to Sharon Hood. And with that, let's dive into the conversation. Hi, Leah. Thanks so much for being with us today. I'm so excited to finally have you on the podcast. I've had a million questions for you. So um, I'm going to try not to like just jump at
1: you, <laughs> but I'm just so pumped. To see right ahead. <laughs> I am so delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to have a wonderful conversation and you can jump right in. I'll try to keep up. Okay. Well, First, I
0: think we should have you give the listeners a little bit about you, a little background, how
1: we know each other, and I will fill in the gaps because we kind of go way back. (laughs) We go so way back. So I'm going to start with that because it's so fun. So we met when you were a law student and you were interning at New Hampshire Legal Assistance. And I won't say exactly what year that was because that will date both of us in ways that like, I just want to protect our privacy. So I'm not going to say it, like let's just not say it. Um, so it was, I, I will just say, maybe it was not in the last five years, and we'll leave it at that. So you were a fantastic legal intern at New Hampshire Legal Assistance in Manchester, New Hampshire. And at the time, I was running the youth law project there. And you worked with me and my colleagues to provide civil legal services to indigent, low-income And vulnerable folks around New Hampshire. You and I focused on working with kids and teenagers who were getting in trouble at school or in their communities or in their homes. And we worked specifically on special education and school discipline and related matters. And you were just such a rock star. And I loved working with you and we became friends. And you also then went on, in addition to becoming a dear friend, went on to be one of our puppy sitters for our first puppy, didn't you? I'll take careful, Mr. Yeah. Kermit. <laughs> he was the best. <laughs> of course, we became colleagues in, in the bar as well and have gone on to stay good friends over the years. So that's how we know each other. And I again I, I feel like it was yesterday, but it, it wasn't wasn't even five years ago. So now fast forward, we both have two kids, we have jobs elsewhere than New Hampshire legal Assistance, although that's a wonderful organization and they're still doing wonderful work. And my job at this point when I'm not chasing my two kids and now two dogs and two guinea pigs or grand guinea pigs as my son tells me they are around, I'm a faculty member at Harvard Law School and a faculty associate at the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University. I'm also the author of a book called Sharon Why We Should Think Before We Talk About Our Kids Online from MIT Press. So a direct through line from the same commitments and passions that brought me to do legal aid work on the front lines on behalf of kids, and that brought you there as well. And now with just a little more technology thrown in, as well as the twist of being a mom myself now for almost a dozen years yeah wow okay i just so i did it you're going to date yourself there We're i did there. It. i did it's okay uh, but it's i'm i'm very proud our oldest will will be 12 very soon so i've been thinking a lot about how we raise healthy protected responsible and most of all playful kids in a digital world and that's what brought me to focus my research and writing on kids teens families and digital life and the law with a focus on digital privacy it's amazing it's like
0: so wild hearing you recount it because we really like this morning when I was thinking about it I'm like I was 23 I think like since we've already let the cat out of the bag about our or how long this has been I was in law school still like I hadn't seen any of the world and was just like doe-eyed, bright-eyed person about the legal system and how we could affect people's lives and really jumping into it. And you were just such an influence on my life. And really, I had a blast working with you and getting to see kids for not just what trouble they got into, but for ways that we could help protect them and help guide them in the future. And it just shaped me as a human. So when I saw you write this book, it gave me a lot of pause, to be honest, because I am now like no longer practicing law, but now pursuing my photography career and pursuing helping people bring their images to life and share their stories to help gain more connection. Um, And then when I saw your book, I was like, oh, great. Am I a Sharon? What am I doing? Is this bad? Can I read this book? Am I going to be scared? (laughs) And I really, it took me a while to dive in. And once I finally did, I realized that there's Yeah, there's some things that should, should scare you as a parent about what decisions you're making, but there's some actual practical things we can do to protect our kids too. So I wanted to talk to you about all of that in light of the fact that we're now in 2022 and the book, I think, when did you write this? 2019?
1: I, the, the book came out. In, yep. The original book came out in 2019 okay. and definitely there's been a little bit happening between 2019 and mm-hmm. 2022, right? Just a few things. Just a few. <laughs> I mean, as one would expect, but never at the level <laughs> that any oh of us. Have <laughs> Unreal. Unreal.
0: <laughs> oh my God. So first I think we should get the definition out there. What, like, did you come up with this whole idea of sharenting or sharenthood? Like, Maybe you can help describe
1: what that is. Absolutely. So I did not come up with the word sharent. The word sharent has been attributed to a Wall Street Journal article and then somewhere between 2010 and 2012, I believe. But the term has gained more popular traction in recent years. I think I've contributed to that. I certainly am not the only contributor of that. The term is typically used to mean what parents post about their kids on social media. I intentionally, and maybe a little bit in a little bit of a contrarian way. I guess maybe all lawyers are slightly contrarian. I have a slightly different definition. I define it in the book Sharon Hood, which I is the first work that I had seen with that particular title, so I will I will take some credit for that. So in Sharonhood I define sharenting as all the ways in which parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers coaches, and other trusted adults transmit children's private digital information. And social media postings by parents are a huge part of it. And I will just say, we are all Sharon's, myself included. So if you took a look at my book and thought, oh dear, am I going to see myself in this? The answer is yes, we all do. I see myself in it. That's why I wrote it. But even though social media posting by parents is a huge part of Sharenting, it's not the only part of it. As parents, we share and all the time, even when we may not realize it. So we now have smart devices in our homes. We have location tracking information on cell phones and other digital devices that we may not even realize is being activated. We may give those devices to our children or we may have our kids with us when we have those devices during the pandemic. All adults involved in trying to take care of or teach children became Sharon's if we weren't already, which we probably were. So let's just say we became like hyper Sharon's because we had existential need to try to do all the things online. We had to try to educate our kids digitally. And that's if we were fortunate enough to have access to devices and connectivity that would allow us to put our kids into digital school. We had to do telemed appointments. Again, Mm -hmm. if we were fortunate enough to have access to medical care and have access to a device and have access to broadband. And those are just a couple of the examples of the ways in which the pandemic really turned up the dial on sharenting. I teach a class at Harvard Law on youth privacy and digital citizenship. And one of the things I say to my students is that the pandemic really created a high stakes real time global experiment in what happened when you put kids education, I'm very focused on education yes. in yeah. class, in the K through 12 space online pretty much overnight. And I use the word experiment very intentionally. And it's not to minimize what happened in the pandemic. That was not a simulation, that was not a game. It was not actually an experiment, it was necessity. But I use the word experiment to convey that as somebody who has been involved in researching and writing and just generally being engaged in kids and digital privacy since 2013, and kids and education in the brick and mortar world even before that, as you know, back to 2007, oh my gosh, Kat, after that, (laughs) I started the Youth Law Project. But even as of, let's say, like March 12th, 2020, here in the United States, which is my focus, we had extremely widespread adoption of educational technologies in our primary and secondary schools. And then it is just still incredible to me when I look back with just a little bit more distance and when I'm not also trying to take my two kids and, and you know, put them online. They were at the time just five and nine, but really even, even given that we were starting from a place of pretty widespread digital ed tech adoption in our schools, the way that the switch flipped to fully digital, at least for that spring and much of the summer is truly extraordinary. And I just have so much respect and empathy and awe for all of the educators and parents and caregivers and everybody who just dug in and figured out how to do the best we could in that time, um, it was just yeah, as we all know, so hard, right? <laughs> and we're still
0: digging out as parents. Oh my gosh. I know, and I feel like so much has changed, especially just watching. I I don't know if it's because I have n- I now have a five year old and she's in kindergarten, and we're seeing how technology is used in the classroom and what what they're being exposed to there. And reading your book, I was learning that there's apps that they're using in the classroom that now can start to track the data and how they're responding that could become a part of their digital thumbprint in the future and packaged up and sold down the road later. Can you tell us a little bit about what you know now? Like with that, has that changed any bit more since the book came out or is that about the same or what what can
1: we do? (laughs) I continue to have, I would say about the same level of concern as I did when the book came out about the ways in which digital ed tech in the primary and secondary space can impact children's privacy as well as their current and future opportunities. And I say about the same level of concern, not because nothing has changed, of course, as we've just talked about, the global pandemic has happened, is still happening maybe later stages. I'm not quite clear on when we get to say this is over, but But the reason my level of concern has stayed about the same is that even though we have had for the past couple of years just an astronomical acceleration of the number of different educational technologies that store, analyze, transmit, and so on kids' digital information. We have also seen more awareness among more stakeholders of some digital privacy issues, and we are continuing to see positive movement in the legislative and regulatory part of the toolkit that exists to try to tackle kids and digital privacy. I, as you know, am am a lawyer, I'm a law teacher. So I think that law is foundational for having a functional and just society. I also am under no illusions, or should I say delusions of grandeur. Law is not the only toolkit <laughs> that we need to bring to bear on these complex types of multi-stakeholder, multi-dimensional problems. But to the extent that law is needed to provide a baseline for rule of law and a functional democracy, there is room and need for much improvement in state and federal laws and implementing regulations to protect kids' digital privacy in schools and in other settings. And we have seen in the last couple of years progress on the state level, notably in states like California, as well as progress on the federal level with some momentum gathering around more comprehensive privacy legislation that would protect kids, not just in school, but more broadly. So even though it's a little bit of a balancing, not to sound too law nerd, but I'm a law nerd, that even Mm -hmm. though I think we, we have seen this astronomical proliferation of different ways in which digital privacy may be compromised by virtue of the existential need in the pandemic to move all the things online we are also seeing maybe a corresponding and what i would say more protective awareness coming into our legal and related systems so yeah i think i think i'm about the same level of concerned even though the variables going into it are slightly different <laughs> right
0: is there anything that we can do as parents to help protect our kids and Guide what they're having access to, even at school, like at that level. And then I'd love to talk about outside of school because I know there's so much more we can do, probably more hands on that way.
1: <laughs> Wonderful question. So, yes, there are definitely things. The first is as a parent, start by familiarizing yourself with what types of digital ed tech your child will be using. I'll put a pin for a moment in the questions of what types of digital ed tech. A school may be using to perform administrative functions. That's typically less clear to parents, although parents can always ask questions. And certainly if you are a parent in a public school system, you will have access to an appropriate amount of information about what your school is doing through right to know and state transparency Laws. But for the purpose of what I think is probably the most important, which is what kinds of digital devices and services are being put in your kids' hands and in their classrooms, ask your teachers. Ask the coordinator for ed tech if the school has one. Ask a vice principal. Ask somebody who might be a point person at the district level and just seek the information in a spirit of openness and curiosity. Now, schools are also required, of course, to either get parental permission to share kids' private information, or at the very least, if the schools think that they fall into an exception for having to request that permission up front under the law, they still need to provide Disclosures and notifications about what information they're collecting and where it's going. So this is all information that really should be available to you as a parent. But as in a more sort of practical sense, sometimes schools are not, Yeah, you know, maybe you know, a little bit overwhelmed or not realize that a certain app is doing a certain thing. And so really just starting from the place of open information seeking. That's one. Second is when you hear what the school is giving your kids or having your kids do, ask some follow-on questions. Again, in the spirit of community and shared interest and do a little research yourself and see what you can learn about the product or service. If you have further questions, Then is the time to go back and request a somewhat more structured conversation, ideally with a multi-stakeholder group within the school or the school district to try to learn from who's the school talking to on the tech side, on the law side, on the child development side, and trying to bring people together in a spirit of we're all in this together. I think that that can really go a long way to making sure that you're engaging in and modeling a conversation with the school. I also think that of course, parents when asked for their permission, should of course do their best to read the fine print. And I say that not in a patronizing way, but in a spirit of solidarity, which is reading the fine print on all of these devices and services can be really tricky and time consuming. So I think again, engage the school is is a really big one and do it in a spirit of compassion and solidarity. In terms of outside of the school, well, you're absolutely right, we do have realistically more control over what is happening in an extracurricular setting or in our homes or our relatives' homes, I would say go low-tech or no-tech whenever you can. And that's not because I'm a Luddite, I'm not. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm seldom found without my phone, but because just because something can be done digitally, it doesn't mean that's the best way to do it. So I'll give a really concrete example and say, when you are thinking about trying to put together experiences for your kids to play, right? To just use their imaginations and to be a little bit more free range. Does the play need to be facilitated by a smart teddy bear? Maybe. I mean, and I say that sincerely, it it may be that it does. It may be that a smart teddy bear or a smart duck toy or whatever it is, is the best way to jumpstart your child's experience of play. I totally can see and and know of situations where that is preferable for a whole variety of really important reasons. I also can think of plenty of situations where it's not really needed. And actually you would be able to give your child a setup for a really good and generative time by giving them a dumb teddy bear with a head stuffed with fluff. Right. <laughs> so I, I think that um when when you are able to make choices that are more under your control, if it can be low tech or no tech, and if it is tech really just try to have even a moment of like why is this tech is what is the practical reason what is the ethical reason and if you have good answers for that then you know your kids best and by all means go for it but if the answer is oh just because it's there then yeah maybe just think a little bit more about it
0: that makes sense one thing I was thinking about while, while reading the book a lot of my listeners are parents of young kids and they are still already taking pictures they've posted the like the cats out of the bag they've shared online the day their kids were born how much they weighed what they looked like in the hospital they've chronicled every month like is there something that if you've already done this like and so you're sitting here feeling like oh well it's all over now. Like I've ruined their lives. <laughs> like, is there anything we you can haven't.
1: do? <laughs> <laughs> like, first, tell yourself you like, you are a wonderful parent. We are all Sharon's. You haven't ruined anything. <laughs> um, so that would be the first thing. Take a deep breath. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of things. One is, you know. Go back and this is good practice, really, whether it is shared content or other content to go back over your social media feeds every year, a couple of years and say, is this still the version of me that I want to have available to the world? Because make no mistake, even if you think it is locked down, it is not really locked down. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the same way that, you know, good job searching advice, if you are about to be a job candidate, please go back and, you know, take down that embarrassing post of yourself at, you know, the, the party in college, go back and think, okay, my kids are a little older now, they may not want their friends and neighbors to be able to see this picture of them from their newborn days or their first Halloween, just take it down. Will that mean that, you know, information that could have been gleaned from it behind the scenes, you know, can be clawed back? Probably not completely, but that's okay. You know, we, we live in a digital world and there really is only so much we can do, but an easy way to think about it, and actually this is something that I think really syncs up with your absolutely wonderful business as a photographer and a curator of memory and experience is think about it not as, oh my gosh, I've done something wrong. I have to make amends, but actually like, okay, you know, the same way that I want to sort of, you know, take stock of how I am seeing myself and how I am presenting myself. Let me think about how I want to have my kids be seen and maybe as they get old enough to kind of know more about what's going on, how I want them to see themselves and just go back and pull stuff down. That's okay. You know, just mm-hmm. just because it's out there, it doesn't mean it has to stay there. Yeah. And in, in your book, you talk kind of
0: about having a personal barometer or a plan that you customize what your philosophy is. So every parent may be different. Some parents might not be too worried about this and are willing to have the information out there, um, but others are much more concerned and don't let any information out out about their children. So I think it's okay to have this flexibility, but I saw an article. I don't think it was in your book, but it was the New York times. Like it was a YouTube video. I think I watched, but it was kids approaching their parents about images that had been shared online and about their sharing And it was particularly impactful to me to actually like step back and think about what your kids might say to you one day about something seemingly to me like oh a picture on vacation on the beach like that could be really offensive to your child down the road like and you might not have thought that that was a problem (laughs) so it's it's interesting to start thinking about this in a different light and helping to think about what you want to model for your children down the line too so that what you're sharing is an example for how they can share in the future too
1: Absolutely. And I know the video you're referring to in August of 2019. So it did not make it into my book because my book came out in <laughs> September 2019. So it was already being <laughs> printed at that time. But the New York Times ran a wonderful video series of kids talking to their parents about sharenting. I believe the title of the article and the corresponding video is, If You Didn't Share it, Did You Even Parent? And there are kids of a number of ages in there, including as young as seven. There's a seven-year-old named Lucy. I was just watching this this again the other day. And she says to her mom, I want to talk about the photos. (laughs) And she's really, Lucy's got some thoughts and she says to her mom, you didn't ask. Mm -hmm. And I just find, I keep coming back to this as you can probably tell, because I find that, that you didn't ask to be really powerful. And it's not because her mom has posted any photos that from the sound of their conversation doesn't sound like any of the photos were objectively offensive or in any way, shape or form like that. But rather, as you say, they were more the kind of photos that I think most of us, if not all of us post or at least text to our friends of like ordinary family life. But around this issue of consent Mm -hmm. and age appropriate opportunities for our kids to consent or at least to be aware, I do think that's really important because we are going to expect our kids by the time they are old enough to have access to their own device, which is getting younger and younger. And some of that is the result still of pandemic changes where we were giving really young kids access to tablets and laptops and phones and saying FaceTime with grandma and grandpa or try to do online preschool, which we did a tiny bit of. And my daughter's preschool was incredible, loved them. Also, online preschool is not a thing. Um, <laughs> but like they you know, they're pretty savvy now, right? And so, but we're certainly going to expect kids to ask their friends before taking pictures of them certainly to ask their friends before posting. Also, you mentioned like something at the beach. I've told my kids, you are not allowed to take ever or share ever pictures where people don't have all their clothes on. We just, we don't do that in this family ever. And I now have had to then... Walk the walk with that, because even though the pictures, of course, that I would be interested in taking are the totally innocent, like "Oh, look, we're all on the Outer Banks, so fun." Mm -hmm. Um, I have already started saying to them because I'm a law nerd and I think about these things. In this family, we don't take pictures of people if they don't have their clothes on, and Mm -hmm. so you know, I think that your 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 point is really powerful, which is the kids are watching and listening (laughs) from a very young age. And so trying to model for them how we expect them to behave when they are doing this on their own is really, really important. And that's not legal advice. I don't think that the law should change to say that parents need to get minors consent before taking a family photo at the beach or (laughs) anywhere else. I, I just don't, I think that's completely unworkable. And even if it were practically workable through some sort of creepy surveillance state, I think it is completely ethically undesirable. We don't want the government somehow policing or even monitoring if parents are getting minors' consent before taking a family photo. There's just huge mm-hmm. family privacy and autonomy problems with that. So, but my point is just much more to build on and reinforce yours that as a matter of how we as individuals choose to parent, I think trying to model and include in age-appropriate ways our kids in this kind of digital citizenship is super important.
0: No, I agree. And I loved what Lucy's conversation did in that video. She, she is seven. And I like never thought that a seven-year-old would be already perceiving that, hey, mom, you didn't ask. And then her mom asked, well, what would you have said? <laughs> and she was like, well, I would have said yes. But it's that whole idea of like letting them be involved in the choices. And the second my daughter stepped foot into kindergarten, I just realized immediately, like, it just, it just became more real that like they're autonomous humans. Now they're not just something they are. Little human they're being, they're being that we've created.
1: <laughs> full, full of opinion <laughs> and agenda and preferences and not, not shy about them, at least in my house. No. And I wanted to take the opportunity
0: while we were talking, just, um, to give some practical ideas for the listeners of what they should maybe, if they still are sharing photos online, like what they should not tag or types of photos they might want to take if they're like trying to show that their family is at the Outer Banks, like maybe take the picture of the back of your head or not tag yeah. your house location and your town that you live in. Um, I think you've shared in the past, like. When a new baby's born and they're in the bassinet and you have like the nameplate, it has your first and last name, the time, the location of their birth, the, how much they weighed. It's giving a lot more information out into the world that people don't need to know. Like they can see your little tiny guy wrapped in a little swaddle and that's cool, but you don't need to share all of that information. <laughs> awesome.
1: You are totally right. And I do love seeing those pictures. Oh my gosh, Thank new baby. You. And they smell so good too. Like the pictures, sometimes you can even like smell them from, from a distance. Um, so absolutely right. I would say a couple of easy tips if you are going to share it by posting on social media, don't include your child's full name or exact date of birth. Don't include geographic information. So exactly where your house is or even where your child goes to school. I would stay away from including specifics about children's likes and dislikes. And this one is less about stranger danger and more about the sad reality that oftentimes kids who are subject to forms of abuse or neglect, often it can be at the hands of folks who are ultimately known to them or in their broader circles. And so uh, hopefully um, everybody listening does not have bad actors like that in their family or social networks, but tragically people do. And so to be documenting for somebody, even in your social or familial circle, little Susie loves dinosaurs and is terrified of lollipops or whatever it is, you're kind of giving more insight than other adults who aren't really trusted and part of your kid's regular life. Like they don't really need to know that. That's could be then an easy way if, if a bad actor were there seeing that to be able to kind of manipulate Susie. So I would say stay away from that. I would also say, and you actually already talked about this, but just stay away from pictures where people don't have all their clothes on, even those pictures that are totally innocent and fine and sweet. So as you said, you know, a picture where it's the back of people's heads or we're all at the beach, but we're wearing sunglasses and hats and we've got, you know, our umbrella up and we're not saying exactly where we are. And we're not saying, you know, little Susie absolutely loved riding the waves because she wants to be a surfer when she grows up. Like we can still have and I think this is really important. We can still have as parents our experience of our families and our ability to tell our story as parents and connect with folks that we may know in real life or that we may know in digital life without compromising our children's privacy in the process. So I certainly don't want any of your listeners to think, well, gosh, I have to junk my phone and junk my tablet and go back to only talking to my neighbor across the white picket fence. Like no (laughs) one lives like that. I'm not, I don't. But I do think that we can think maybe a little bit more or a little bit differently about how we include our kids in that. And one easy way to do that can be what I call the holiday card rule of thumb. So for those of us old enough, and I've already dated myself, so I'll just go ahead and do it. You know, I'm I'm the tail end of Gen X. So for those of us who are old enough to remember old fashioned holiday cards and letters like the big long update right that you got in the mail and for people who don't know what that is google it. And so if you are I got them. I'll share them because my grandparents still send them. <laughs> all of them. I love them. I don't write like them but I love getting them. I still get a handful that makes me So happy. But if you would Put a picture or a piece of information in one of those old fashioned letters and send it to everyone you know, from your boss to your great aunt, then it's probably fine to put it on social media. And I think, though, the important part of that too, is that in a letter, you would have had to really sort of think about it and pick which information you were leaving in and leaving out. It wasn't just like, oh, I had a thought. Oh, I had a thing. Look, post, click, swipe. Um, That's probably okay. So that that is something I sometimes think about is, would I have shared this if I were doing it in this context of the holiday car genre? And if the answer is no, or even I'm not sure, I just don't, do it. Will I still probably text like two of my best friends about it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um is that sharenting? Yes. That is the digital transmission of sometimes private information. Um but it's a kind of sharenting that is less public and still preserves the connection and the emotional outlet of like, oh my gosh, my kids are driving me crazy. Um, but yeah, I can just say it to, you know, two people instead of however many, um, you know, might pay attention now or in the future in in the digital ether.
0: It's wonderful. It's, I mean, it's not wonderful, but it's also very practical and helpful to just start having this conversation, to start thinking about it and digging deeper into what each of our common goals are and what we want for our family. And it, it starts having that ability for us to have that conversation with our kids too. And you can start it pretty young.
1: <laughs> so. Absolutely. And here's the thing, you know, it, we can start it pretty young and the world is starting it very young yeah. at this point. And that is especially true in this post pandemic era where the norms on digital engagement and digital access have shifted. To being more access for more reasons for more kids at more ages including younger ones so we do as parents find ourselves living in a different digital reality than we were even in i would say you know like march 12th <laughs> i think that was a thursday thursday march 12th uh 2020 um and and you know it it's different now and it's not going to go back as you were said earlier in a different context, slightly, the you know, the cat is out of the bag, the horse is out of the barn. And we have to sort of figure out how we not just go along for the ride, but ideally, like, have fun with it and also not get run over by horses or cats or <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going oh, to go is <laughs> <laughs> going. I'm just going to stop. Okay. Well,
0: if we have questions after hearing this back, because <laughs> I feel like this is going to spark a bit of conversation amongst us. So what are some resources we can go to? Is there any way we can get in touch with you in the future to learn more? You, you're popping up everywhere. So I'm sure we're going to see more
1: of you. But... Let's do stay in touch. So um, <laughs> you can find more resources and ways to reach me at lea.plunka.com with wonderful pictures, courtesy of you. Thank you so much. And I am also, on LinkedIn and I'm at Leah A. Plunkett on Twitter. I'm happy to get direct messages for as long as Twitter is still a thing. (laughs) And I would love to hear from your listeners with their questions or reflections or suggestions. I wrote this book to have a conversation with other parents and other adults invested in protecting kids in a digital world. So please, I would love to keep the conversation going.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Leah, for doing this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So much fun. So there we have it. What do you think? I know it was a lot to cover in this episode. If you'd love to get into the show notes, you can click on wherever you're listening right now, and there should be a link below. If not, it's at www.frameoflifeproject.com backslash episode backslash 10, and you'll get right there. Be sure to leave a comment um, in the show notes, or you can also leave a rating. A five-star rating would be awesome on whatever app you're listening to us on. Reach out to Leah, as she said, and let's keep the conversation going. Okay, guys, thank you so much, and I will see you next time.